millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Josh Brown, you're beautiful. You're the thing that brightens my <laughs> life, keeps me going. We're doing a, a, a podcast over the Zoom for a change because we're both at home uh, for a random day. But that's not going to stop the wind-up itself. I'm Scott Tilford. You're Josh Brown. Good morning, Scott Tilford. It's so good to have you <laughs> back. It's so good to have you back. Thank you. I, I, I met up with my parents yesterday for the first time in a few weeks. I've been away in Japan, as I've said every waking second of my life since I've been back, um, and just just spouted every single thing at them. Here's every single thing I did. Here's all the photos. Just you know when your parents are trying to keep up with like how excited a child is, and they're just oh yeah, oh you did that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure you did that. You had fun, and uh, it was a very lovely time. But I feel like that's literally my entire being has just been. I've been to Japan, you know. And do you know <laughs> I've been there? Have I, have I told you? Well, I've you know what. You've been to Japan for nearly three weeks, of course. You've got to talk yeah. about it. You've done so much. You walked 11 miles a day. That's a lot of life experiences <laughs> to put in the three weeks. Conversely, Scott, I've done nothing. Yes. I walked probably less than 11 miles in three weeks. You know what I mean? So there's quite a gulf oh, between I mean, our experiences here. Usually, I wouldn't do 11 miles a year. Never mind <laughs> doing it every other day. Um, there's a lot of stuff to get to. Speaking of things to get to, um, we're going to talk about various news items that are doing the rounds in the uh, industry as a couple of talk, as well as a couple of talking points as well. Um, but we should start on some games that we're playing. Um, you've beaten Resident Evil 4 Remake, I believe, six times. Oh, man. Well, with you gone and with little else to do, <laughs> I finally got to dive into Resident Evil 4 proper, which mm-hmm. I briefly touched on um, in a podcast with Jules inside, but I hadn't finished it. When we did that podcast, now, right. like you say, I finished it six times, and I feel like I'm living and breathing Resident Evil Four. What's it's got Tilford. It really is. I didn't <laughs> expect this. I thought right. Resident Evil Four was going to be similar to the Dead Space remake, where by I enjoyed it, but I didn't mm-hmm. necessarily love it. I could appreciate it as a really great game, but because I've loved that game previously, it's kind of like watch, re-watching a movie. Like, it's still amazing, but does it? Mm-hmm. will it count towards Game of the Year 2023? Will it have enough new to really get inside my brain? And here's the thing. While you were gone, <laughs> I've dubbed something. I've, I've invented a term. Okay. Resident Evil 4 hit on something that I'm going to refer to as the Elden Ring pathways in my brain. <laughs> whereby all I can think about is a game. All I want to mm. play is a game. And I didn't expect Resident Evil 4 to do that to me, but like I said, I've played it six times. And even last night, I was playing another game that I can't talk about yet because it's embargoed. I finished mm. it, and the first thing I did was restart Resident Evil 4 again. <laughs> I, I'm on it one more time. It is just... So Moorish, it is It is hit in a way that I didn't expect. And right. for me, that just makes it so much better than the Resident Evil 2 remake or even Resident Evil 8 Village games that I love. And like I keep reiterating, wasn't expecting this. Really big surprise. I, I know sometimes we're cut from chemically different cloths because I played Resident Evil 4 just as I was getting ready to leave. And I had a lot of different packing to do and preparation and everything for Japan. So I only put in, I don't, you'll know more than me how far through I am. I think it's like a few hours. I've done up until you get to the lake and you get the boat and everything's way more wider open. I think it's just a couple of hours in or something. And my general take was, I don't think it's as good as the original. I didn't like the new feel of the shooting. It's way more oily. It feels way more like just leaden. It feels like Red Dead 2. Um, and I'm sort of like, if, you, if you're classing that as like modern controls, I don't know if I'm there for it. So I kind of need to go back to it and just see how it feels like and get further there through it. Because I've not even met Ashley or anything yet. Well, honestly, like for the first few hours, I was a little bit worried myself because mm. the first thing that I got caught up on was actually like 
some of the technical hiccups of the game for as good as the game looks. I got mm. really bogged down in the weeds of why does this foliage look so bad? Like, why yes. is the... Why the hair's so weird. The hair's a little bit weird, though. I do really love hair strands on. I will, I will admit, <laughs> I came to that conclusion eventually. Hair the strong, HDR man. was a little bit weird. It reminded me a lot of um, Final Fantasy VII Remake on the PS4, where mm. overall it was a great-looking game, but when you looked at the, the smaller details, the quality wasn't there, and there was a big gulf between like the main character models and then the kind of smaller textures that oh, totally. you yeah. don't really see, but it didn't really stand up to scrutiny. So I kind of got bogged down in that. I got bogged down into like like you said the heaviness of the gameplay but then suddenly it kind of all unlocked for me and while i still love the original like resident evil 4 is one of my favorite games of all time and it probably is better than this remake and um, mm. the stuff that you didn't like there that you mentioned like the heaviness <laughs> of the shooting and uh, that to me was kind of what made me love it eventually because i was a little bit worried going into this how do you live up to the shooting model from RE4 mm. original? You know, we had a conversation about does the ability to move and shoot and move and reload fundamentally change the tension or whatever? So the first time I kind of shot a zombie and had the resistance on the dual sense and heard like that really kind of heavy pop of the handgun go off, I thought, oh no, gonna, they're going <laughs> to nail it. They're going to nail it for me. I genuinely think it's one of like, the best implementations of the dual sense yet, so it's going to break Oof. my heart when you tell me you've turned it off. <laughs> um, but for me, like we said, just, chemically different, but it was just it, just, it just hits, man. It hits for me. I need to spend more time with it, and I will. I'm going to go back to it, because <clears throat> we're going to have more conversations about it, and it is a huge deal. I just sort of... It was one of those things where I, like you said, I got bogged down in some of the menu stuff where I was like, oh my God, what the hell hair setting am I supposed to be on? Because both of them just look weird in different ways. They just, I just couldn't get them to look right. And then there was like some of the stuff with the brightness, the HDR, like you said, and then like the actual aim sensitivity felt really slow. And I was like, oh my God, I just want to play the game. I hate, I hate <laughs> all the options. I hate that stuff so much. Um, I just want to play. And I love how immediate RE4 original is. And so I got off on such a bad footing with it where I was like, oh my God, I, I just can't be bothered with all this horrible sludge yeah. um and then i finally got through that did a few hours i was like yeah this is fine enough but i don't I don't enjoy it. it's just not as snappy as re4 in any sense like you know they're obviously going for different things totally. um, it's a more sort of like you know leaden uh, horror corridor crawly almost experience but in a bigger better place it definitely is you know it doesn't have that like like you said the immediate snappiness of re4 to me i'm pleased it doesn't because it mm. would have made perhaps the game a little bit too boring and too easy if you had the ease of shooting that you had in re4 i think mm -hmm. the changes are intentional like you like you say and that makes for a more survival horror based experience which i wasn't expecting i thought it was going to be just as action heavy as the original if not more because mm -hmm. of like i said you know the, the freedom and the mechanics that you have now so those changes work for me because i did want to be slowed down and it made the mm. moments later on when I'd upgraded my weapons and could kind of play it as a twitch shooter that little bit more satisfying because I felt like I'd earned that progression almost over the course of 20 mm. hours or whatever. But ultimately, it's just been a weird experience because we've talked about this before. When it comes to Resident Evil games, they're like designed to be replayed over and over again. You get all the bonus weapons, all the bonus costumes. You're encouraged to speed run them. And I never mm. have. I'm a lifelong fan Same. of this franchise. I've played Resident Evil 4 original about 10 times, but I've never replayed it. I've never done a new game plus run of it. I've never used an infinite rocket launcher or anything like that mm. because Same. I love the core progression. This time around, though, with RE4 Remake, I did all that stuff for the first time. I was speedrunning it in, like, right. big stints, three-and-a-half-hour stints. I was using the infinite submachine gun that you get. I was using all of that stuff to kind of get the mm -hmm. Platinum Trophy. And I actually really had a good time. I'm, never, I'm not going to well, do this with the games, but this was a pleasant surprise. Isn't um isn't one of the lowest like uh, time trial things to hit like two hours or three hours or something? It's like burn through it in like two to four hours. Three and a half hours for the S rank on assisted, and I think Sweet it's like Jesus. four to five for um standard and hardcore and professional and stuff. Right. So you got, you got to get through it fast. And bear in mind, it took me twenty seven hours to beat the game on my first run. So <laughs> I was like, how am I going to be able to get it down that yeah. much? It turns I think it was out the tenth of that time. It turns out when you're not playing it on, on hardcore and trying to go for all of the uh, tr uh, trophies and all of the treasures and stuff, you could just mm. absolutely wipe the floor with um, you know fully upgraded shotguns and fully upgraded machine guns and stuff. So that was satisfying to shave literally 20 hours of my run to then kind of perfect it. It was uh, an experience I've not had with Resident Evil before, <laughs> put it that way. 
Um, yeah, I'm curious about all that stuff because there's all the th- stuff with the merchant that was in the original too in terms of the shooting gallery and trying to get you into that headspace of like a more like arcadey mentality. And I like that idea of like, I have mastered this game because I can just run through it like as much as possible. And um, yeah, I'll get back to it. I, I just, it's just one of those things where there's something, I messaged you this morning, we were talking a, bit, a little bit on Slack where I was like, there's something twistedly tragic about the fact that 2023's best games are Resident Evil 4 and Dead Space. And I was just like, it's they're great games, but like there's just a big part of my brain that just fundamentally doesn't care that it's just like here's the thing you've already done again and it's like i I don't know you'd have to do more with the remake i guess like final fantasy 7 it's a bigger time jump like yeah this is this is it this is what i'd want to say and from my perspective like I, i like i said i really enjoyed the dead space remake but it didn't live with me the same way this did because mm. it was too similar this is very similar in the broad sense you know like a lot of the levels are one-to-one a lot of the plot beats are one-to-one but there was mm. enough change mechanically and enough change to the story and enough change to the structure where it felt more akin to uh final fantasy 7 remake it felt more akin to the original remake of resident evil 1 where they kind of overhauled right. pretty much everything and it's some's different some things are better, but it's kind of like it feels like a different game, like mm. a proper remake rather than a you know a remaster or anything like that. And it kind of for me, RE4 falls within that purview rather than a Dead Space style kind of mm. approach. Just for me, uh, having taken it in totality, like I wouldn't recommend, and I think this is quite telling. I wouldn't recommend one over the other. I'd say if you want to, if you want the full Resident Evil 4 experience, you've got to play the original and you've got to play the remake. Whereas mm. I, if, if someone asked me, where should I start with Dead Space? I would say, don't bother with the original. Just start with the right. remake. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's funny. That's ironic because that is exactly what I would say for Final Fantasy 7. Like, go play the original, then you'll get the remake a lot more. Um, but yeah, I'll get onto that thing in, in hopefully pretty soon because I want like a triple A thing, meaty thing to get stuck into. Um, the game I've been playing is Yakuza Kiwami 2 just because it lets me revisit spiritually, lets me go back to the exact parts of um, Shinjuku that they modeled that I literally stayed in in my hotel and everything. Um, and like literally, like obviously the whole Yakuza franchise based on Kamurocho, which is like their take on Kabukicho, which is like this whole sort of um, series of streets that are quite iconic in themselves. There's a big sign um, in there that's like uh, replicated in the game. There's a whole thing. Um, so when I got to real life Japan, I kind of felt like I was home because I've already spent like, like, I don't know, literally a thousand hours in the Yakuza games at this point. Um, and so that was phenomenal. So as soon as I got home, I've never actually beat Yakuza 2. Um, and I got, so I downloaded the remake. It was like the second one they did in the Dragon Engine when they went back and like rebuilt everything. Yeah. Um, so you've got like way better physics, like enemies just fly across the street, fly through windows, fly into different parts of the environment, which I love. I think we talked about it before. We must have done. I love any game that will let me kick a man into various parts of the environment Um, it's one of my favorite things to do Um, and in Yakuza they very much reward you for that there's like a few uh, because you get like special animation finishes some of them you can do indoors so um, because Kiwami 2 loads all of its interiors all simultaneously you might be fighting brawling a dude on a street and brawl into like the 7-Eleven on the corner and then hit your special button um, and then you tell the store clerk to put the microwave on because you (laughs) want to put a man's head in the microwave and it's you never get more fun than that and so uh, I've just been living on uh, Yakuza Kiwami 2 it, it takes place in uh, fictional Tokyo and fictional Osaka. Um, and there are literally this every street corner. We, I've been back to some of the restaurants I was in. I found the exact seats I sat in and stuff like that. And so um, outside of that, I'd still recommend Yakuza Kiwami 2 regardless. Like, it's still a brilliant game. I got quite far through it years ago, but I never finished it. Um, but it's just a great brawler with, like, so many cool little mini games, And the attention to detail for that setting is phenomenal. Um, it's a good time. I hey, man. You've got a lot of good excuses to keep in that headspace, <laughs> like you're saying, you're going through Yakuza now, you're playing a bit of Mario, and then you've got to mm. run that right into Zelda Tears of the Kingdom next month, and then you're going to just be able to, you know, luxuriate in <laughs> uh, the culture and world of Japan that you've had to sadly leave and come back to the UK, it's but still time. experience it via video games, I love that. Yeah, man, that's the thing. I was like, I, I know I need to get through Resident Evil 4. That's like, that was my biggest outlier because that was the thing I was in the middle of uh, when I left. I downloaded Tron Identity, which I did the very beginning of uh, last night, just before we were recording this. Almost immediately fell asleep, and I love the vibes of that game. Um, it's like literally just a Blade Runner uh, visual novel take on Tron. I don't know if you're a Tron fan. I am very much. Um, it's uh, the, the music's by Dan LeSac. Remember him? No. Yeah. 
<laughs> do you remember, do you, <laughs> do you remember Scroobius Pip? I'm just saying words at you now. No, no. Okay, no, there, was a, there was a guy. Some some people out there will remember. Um, I'm actually forget. I'm blanking on the one hit wonder that was Scroobius Pip and Dan Lassac. <laughs> um, but they did a song um, that a lot of people liked about 14 years ago. Um, but it's Dan Lassac doing synthwave music for the Tron game, which I just, I popped at, to use a wrestling term, um, just because it was such a pull. I was like, Dan Lassac doing stuff. Um, which I know, again, sounds like the ravings of a madman, but the, that whole vibe of that game, this whole sort of way more serious take on Tron, which a lot of Tron fans have wanted for decades, um, just because it is such a, you know, it's a Disney IP and like the, the movie wasn't great and whatever. Um, the whole vibes of that game, it's a very like, you know, choose your own adventure type thing. Um, I'm loving that. So I need to play a lot more of it, but I've only done the first sort of half hour or so. But I say it's the vibes, the trench coat in the rain, everything's neon lit. Beautiful. Scott, here's the, here's the thing. I don't know if you agree with this because, you know, we mm. did say at the beginning of this podcast that, you know, the only real game of the year contenders so far are Resi and Dead Space or whatever. Mm. But I'm at this point now, I mentioned this to you briefly before we started filming, but, like, games are coming thick and fast and I can't mm. keep up with all the games. There's already so many games that I've missed from the start of the year mm. that I want to get to, like Seasons, and I want to get to uh, Like a Dragon Ishin. I want to get yeah, back to yeah. that as well. There's obviously stuff coming on the horizon. We've got Dead Island 2. We've got um, Star Wars. We've got Zelda just within the next month alone. <laughs> and I'm like, how am I going to play all of these games? There's so much that I want to play, and I just feel like I'm going back to back to back. And I know it's mm-hmm. not helped by playing Resident Evil 4 six times, but you got to let them breathe as well. And, man, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed in a good way right now. I feel like I need to rediscover 3AM. I've left, I, I put 3AM to bed a couple of years ago, and I've not been back there in a while. Um, but that might be the, the remedy for all this. Um, but we should get th- uh, through some news items. Uh, very recently, this is um, a whole Halo bit of news that Halo franchise creative director. Frank O'Connor has left 343 Industries, or at least it's rumoured, uh, or it's been picked up on that he has, um, based on his LinkedIn profile, which now shows NA next to his uh, the former position that he did have. Um, now, in a wider sense, it's more of just a wider conversation on the state of Halo, which I know we've covered before. There's a couple of news videos and stuff on it. Um, but I did want to mention, you know, this comes after uh, Microsoft laid off 95 people back in January from 343 Industries. Um, there was the single-player story DLC that was rumoured for Halo Infinite. Um, Windows Central's Jez Corden uh, literally just tweeted and said it never existed. Um, just said Halo Infinite's campaign DLC never existed beyond conversations focus has always been entirely on live service there was never any campaign DLC in active development so there's a whole thing with just the I mean the the mismanagement of Halo across the board and like the fact that you know if it was Sony canning 95 Naughty Dog devs it would be like a massive thing and I just as you know I know we've talked about this loads before but to me I'm like this is almost incomprehensible comprehensible the fact that it got this bad or is this bad it is it, it certainly is you know it's it's crazy that it got to this point at the same time like you said because we've it's it's been a, such a a slow but continuous decline hasn't it mm. i mean like you said we've covered this so many times we covered it when the layoffs initially happened we covered it last year with james douse when a few of the creative leads went we probably covered it Five, I love James Dance. We probably covered it five <laughs> years ago, you know, when there was a creative reshuffling then. Like, 343 has just been on this decline for so long that at mm. this point, kind of nothing's incomprehensible to me about this mm. studio. You know, when they released the Master Chief Collection and it was broken for years, that felt incomprehensible at the time. True. When Halo Infinite got pushed back a year, that felt incomprehensible. Now the idea that that studio has been minimized, that kind of felt incomprehensible, but... In a way, the writing's always been on the wall, and yeah. that sucks because how has Microsoft mismanaged their what should be their well, biggest that's... franchise? And that's the issue, and it just makes me wonder, what do you do from here on out? Do you build 343 back up, or do you just kind of like almost cut losses, put them mm. on something else, see if they can make a new IP, and then give Halo to a completely other team at this point? Well, that was my thing because I saw uh, Metro.co.uk did like they do like a, a readers feature thing where someone had written in and just talked about like is Halo dead? Is, is Halo like a dead franchise after all of this stuff? Um, and it's just like the general sort of like uh, blood in the water type thing with, alongside the news of the Franco Connor stuff. Where I was just like, yeah, it is. It's dead. Like it's been dead for years, and we just haven't really admitted it. <clears throat> Excuse me, we haven't really admitted it. I feel like Halo Infinite's multiplayer was the best thing about it, but the campaign was pretty terrible. Like it was just really soulless. I don't think you, you didn't get around to playing it, did you? Like it didn't even nah. feel like you needed to you wouldn't like, didn't feel like you were missing anything no absolutely not it felt like from what i gathered from what you said and from what other people said it felt like a starting point that is now mm. never going to get built on so i kind of <laughs> i'm pleased that i never jumped in 
Mm-hmm. It's just this weird thing, and it's like just to wrap this whole weird thing up, where it's like to me, you know, Halo is Xbox, or it was for the longest time. There's a tiny Halo emblem inside every uh, console that they're still shipping right now. Like you know, if you go inside your Series X or your uh, Series S, you can see a little tiny Master Chief symbol on the chipset, and I think that's like a really cool little touch. But they don't do right by that idea anywhere other than just some hardware person saying, "Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Master Chief in, in the every system?" And I just think that's just such a weird disconnect. I just kind of can't believe that, that they would let it fall so much when Halo was so big um, that to some degree it's just a case of like verbalizing it is the acceptance side of it. And it's just to have the the gaming industry in the palm of your hand for so long and um, for the majority of the 2000s and then to have it fall so stratospherically hard over and over and over again. And then the chief dude is leaving and you lost 95 people. I just... I actually really can't comprehend it. I think it's ludicrous. Like, it's it's insane that we're here and that they've lost their biggest thing. And yeah. my solution is just to let Halo go altogether. I don't think you can bring it back. I think it's tarnished. I think it's just it needs to die. I'd like to see them try again, but I also have no problem <laughs> in letting things like this die. Like, if you do make mm. the comparison, obviously Nintendo will never let anything die. They live and die on their kind mm. of, like, first-party <laughs> output, their mascots or whatever. But if you look at Sony... They have a lot of first-party games, but they're similarly not afraid to kind of like let things go. Or if it's out of their hands and they get things mm. taken from them, like Crash Bandicoot or whatever, they always have something else to plug the gap. Microsoft has gears, and then that's about it. The thing, <laughs> the, the main issue with me is not that Halo is dying. It's that that over the past decade they haven't made anything else to take its mm. place. Like we don't, in my opinion, I don't want the the entire industry to stagnate or circle or orbit around a couple of franchises. And when something is not where it once was, it's not at its peak, innovate and bring something else to the table. That's what they did with Gears, but they've not had really anything since on that level. They're doing really good in the racing space with the two Forza series, but like Mm -hmm. in their AAA space, it's still Halo and Gears. And I don't think we would be talking about how incomprehensible it is to let one of those die if they had anything else across the past 15 years (laughs) to kind of divert our attention and say, oh, that's what Xbox is in 2023. Xbox Mm -hmm. is in 2023 what it was in 2005, you know? And that's the issue, I think. I think, yeah, and in terms of the output, or in terms of what they want you to think of, like, and that's the thing, assuming that they want you to think of Halo, hence the, the chipset thing, or they want to remind you of Gears, or they want to make you know the Fable's coming soon, or whatever it is, but that's true, I mean, it's it's almost like a, a, a putting a button on the last 10 years of, of Xbox just completely failing when it comes to games themselves, and, and this, I think the thing is, like, obviously both of us grew up with Xbox systems, 360 systems, we talked about this before, um, but it's because that love was there for so long, and because they did nail it for so long, not the end of the 2000s, when it was all about the Kinect, and the they lost their way and everything, but they never came back. Like it was just the promise of things like Scalebound, and they fell apart and whatever. Um, I just, I just find the whole thing fascinating and just, uh, yeah. I, when, when the solution is almost, you need to let it go entirely for a bit and just see if there's anyone talking about Halo in the next sort of five, ten years. Because every time we do a news video on it, it bombs. Like it yeah. feels like the general populace doesn't care about Halo, and um, which is just a weird thing in itself. Um, you know, considering the history of it. Um, but yeah, speaking of Xbox uh, properties and the idea of things that they had in motion and scale bound which is a hell of a segue I'm going to do Great because uh, <laughs> because Sony recently did a state of play on Final Fantasy 16 which very much looks like a scale bound type game it's an open world game um, with uh, ostensibly Devil May Cry 5's combat on it um, because they've recruited the uh, the lead combat designer from DMC5 um, so this is headed up by Yoshi P um, I forget that I always forget that dude's name because I confuse him with Yoshinori Kitase anyway um, that's the dude who did Final Fantasy 14 and this is his first like mainline game and they did a whole half hour gameplay and they showed everything off now the game is currently like flying up the amazon pre-order charts and stuff but there is a back and forth brewing amongst the fandom as to whether it's a final fantasy game (laughs) and old me doesn't well it will be but old me is very much when you watch it and you you know you're only going to control one character you play as a dude called clive and you can't control anyone else although you can give them ai prompts i think but they very much just do their own thing um, it is DMC5 open world, which was kind of the promise of Scalebound, and I think that'll get a lot of people in, hence the pre-orders and everything. Um, but for me, I was like, 
I don't know if they've gone too far yet. I just need to wait and see how the whole thing feels. But it's fascinating watching it roll out because I do want massive creative risks for games. Yes. Um, but also Yoshi P talking about like how do we get the Call of Duty crowd in isn't what I want to hear as a lifelong Final Fantasy fan. This is why I love this podcast. This is why I love this <laughs> life, Scott Tilford, because Final Fantasy 16 is going to be the first mainline Final Fantasy game that I buy. So yeah. in a way, the developers have it actually works. hit their target of yeah. appealing to the Call of Duty crowd because I'm coming from Warzone and I'm going, oh, I want to see what the crack <laughs> is over here with this Final Fantasy 16. Do I have to play the 15 other ones? Probably not. I'm going to be okay. You never did. Um, and I'm so excited that I've not even watched the state of play because I don't want to know anything at this point. I am sold. Mm. The first trailers completely sold me on it. And like I said, that's monumental for me, someone who has only played through Final Fantasy VII Remake before uh, because it had such hype and adoration behind it pre-launch in a way that mm. the other mainline games didn't. And it didn't feel like I was missing out on because it didn't mm. feel like it was my thing. But you say Devil May Cry 5 Open World and I say, how much do you want? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. You know? I know, and I should be saying the same thing, and I, I'm sure I will in time. My own, my main issue, and you mentioned Final Fantasy VII Remake, my main issue is that when they busted out Final Fantasy VII Remake and we all played it, and that felt like Devil May Cry meets Final Fantasy. It felt like a, you know, because you could just, you could take your time in between the menu presses if you want to, you can use the shortcuts if you want to. It played like a hybrid of, you know, like a, a real-time action game with turn-based stuff, quote-unquote, if you wanted it, because you could just pause the action, pick your spots, pick your spells, um, and jump between your entire party, and I was like, oh my god, they 
finally nailed it after trying all these weird deviations of action combat, whether it be in side franchises like Nino Kuni or uh, Kingdom Hearts, they finally got there in terms of a Square Enix published property to, to make an action game that also feels like a Final Fantasy game. And I was like, oh my God, they finally did it. And then they haven't, I mean, I guess that'll be in Remake 2, but that combat model, I was like, oh, this will be the new Final Fantasy combat model because they've been striving for something. Um, even from Final Fantasy 11 onwards, they kept trying different model uh, modes of combat and stuff. Um, and 15 was kind of live action, but it was still a bit finicky and you were holding buttons to do combos. It was a bit weird. Um, so yeah, for me, it was just that 16 is like a step in another weird direction where you, you don't keep the team management stuff from Remake and you don't keep the ability to pause and pick your moves and stuff. It, it's, it is Devil May Cry in an open world i'm coming at this obviously from a non-fan perspective i haven't followed Mm. the series like you have i couldn't even tell you what a final fantasy is you know like what is the soul (laughs) what makes a game a final fantasy game and what makes it like you know something else with the final fantasy branding but Mm. that said as as a kind of like as an outsider who wants to get in I would be a little bit disappointed if it kept the Final Fantasy VII Remake combat intact. Not because I didn't like that combat system, I really did, but because I've Mm. already played it, and I will undoubtedly play that again this year with the second part of that. Mm -hmm. And with this being a big numbered installment, again, as an outsider who doesn't have much experience, I'm pleased that it's differentiating itself, that I'm not just going to get a kind of continuation of a game that I played two years ago, and that I'm going to Mm. play it this December if it hits hits its release date with... uh, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, to me, like, numbered installments in any franchise need to be big leaps forward, whether that's my beloved Resident Evil going first person for the first ever time. And I like that Final Fantasy XVI is sticking to that, but like I said, it's easy for me to say that as someone with no skin in the game. Well, the thing is... You know they've not done. The, I'm not on. I'm not fully. <clears throat> for me, it's just acknowledging that it does look drastically different, and I applaud the creative side of that. Um, I'm not with the people going like, "Oh my god, it looks terrible," because it doesn't. It looks brilliant. It looks beautiful. It look. It looks like an open world Devil May Cry. Um, and to be fair, you know, when you think about it, they haven't done a dedicated turn-based Final Fantasy. If you discount World of Final Fantasy, which was like a weird little chibi spin-off thing, they haven't done that since Final Fantasy X. So like that was 2001 or something. Like it's it's a long time, and every single one has been a completely different combat system um, for the last sort of five main installments. So it's like, it's a weird thing where I completely applaud them for taking the risk. And I'm glad Yoshi P is just like, because he came in sort of almost out of nowhere and resurrected 14. It was almost going to be a deleted game or whatever, and then built that all the way back up. And then they were like, fine, you can have the next proper one. And he's like, right, I'm going to make it bigger and better. And I'm going to get everybody in. And uh, I believe in that dude. But um, it's just, it's fascinating watching it roll out. And the more they show of it, the more it's like, no, we have doubled the F down on this being an action game. Like, you yeah. would never know it was a Final Fantasy game if someone just told you it was a different franchise. Well, this is it. It's, it's always, I think, well, at least for me it is, it's always concerning when you see developers say, we, we want to go for the GTA crowd. We want to go for the mm. Call of Duty crowd. To me, that just... It's, it screams that you're on the wrong tracks, you know, like when, again, going back to Resident Evil, when they made a Resident Evil 6 and they wanted all of the Call of Duty crowd, they wanted the <laughs> Gears of War crowd, and it was the wrong direction for the franchise. But, you know, in this case, it kind of seems to be working. Obviously, there are pockets of the totally. fan base that, you know, don't want this kind of evolution. But like you said, you know, like sales for it generally are skyrocketing. I think the state of play itself hit like a million views pretty much instantly. You know, like it's mm. people are watching it, people are getting involved in this game, and hopefully it lives up to the excitement that's being put down. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting time, I suppose, to be a Final Fantasy fan because I feel like you've got a lot of choice. You've got 14, which continues to roll out and be massively popular mm. online. You've got, you know, like the 7 remake project that we mentioned there. You've got the Pixel remasters that have just come to oh, PS5 just and Xbox. Exactly. Yeah. And then you've got Final Fantasy 16. There's a lot of Final Fantasy content to sink your teeth into. And hopefully that means there's enough for... Fans of any interest to find something that appeals to them. Well, it's one of those things where, like, in a couple of days, there are uh, the Pixel remasters are all available on the 19th. So that's Final Fantasy One through Six. Um, on I think they're on Switch and PlayStation initially, and I think they're going to assumedly come to other platforms. But there's that whole weird thing that no one talks about between Sony and Square Enix, where they're clearly just giving each other those handshakes that have like ten pound notes in, and just to make sure that they <laughs> get all the exclusives. Um, but yeah, in a couple of days' time, you'll be able to play all ten dedicated turn-based Final Fantasies, and um, which should satiate that side of you. I mean, that's over that'll be a couple of thousand hours of game. 
Um, and then that assumedly, you know, maybe frees you up to try something new. I'm definitely up for trying it. I love Final Fantasy so much. I was in the Final Fantasy cafe the <gasps> other week. And so I'm looking forward to getting stuck in. But I, I definitely see the side of it um, that is just them going like, nah, we, we're making an action game. And this is this is what it needs to be. And, uh, and you know, we think it's the, that's the, the best foot forward. Um, next news item is that Sega bought Rovio, the dudes that are in charge of Angry Birds, um, a <laughs> property that hasn't really done anything in, I don't even know, 14 years, 13? 18, 12 years it's been a while um, so this just happened this only broke this morning although there were rumours uh, on Sunday night but Monday morning um, this is written up by the BBC um, Sega Sammy Holdings Sega Sammy are the dudes that own Sega and everything um, Sega Sammy Holdings chief executive Haruki Satomi um, says that he wants to use Rovio's distinctive know-how in live service mobile game operations to help bring their own current and new titles to the global gaming market um, it's also worth pointing out that Rovio own uh, Beacon which apparently is like a big mobile platform um, and Sega have said that amongst the rapidly growing uh, global gaming market. The mobile gaming market has especially high potential, and it's been in Sega's long-term goals uh, to accelerate its expansion in this field. Now, you know, this is a whole depends on what you love. Sega, whatever. There'll be a Sonic. I mean, more Sonic games on mobile. There's already like fifty of them anyway. Um, but. I think for me, it's, it's like a wider conversation on pushing into mobile gaming again, like trying to make it so that mobile games in the West are as big as they are in the East, where like, uh, you know, trying to make sure that people are plugged into a certain franchise 24-7. We saw Sony buy a whole bunch of mobile devs. I don't know. What do you think of this whole thing? Mobile gaming is just barely my thing. Well, same, man. Like alongside eSports, it's one of my biggest blind spots in the industry. Mm. I remember a few years ago before Microsoft's uh, started to buy um, Activision when mm-hmm. Take Two had like the highest gaming acquisition of all time by buying a mobile publisher. And that was news. And even though it was <laughs> such a monumental thing at the time, like billions and billions of dollars, it wasn't mm-hmm. on my radar because I, I don't have the reference point for that almost. I always forget that it's not just Activision Blizzard anymore, it's Activision Blizzard King. That's how mm-hmm. big of a part of that company. Uh, that company is, you know, it's crazy. Like it's an entire mobile division bringing in millions and millions of dollars. You mentioned there the Sony, Sony getting into mobile. Nintendo obviously, you know, put out a bunch of mobile games, try to get into mobile as well. Sega now making this acquisition. It's like, to me, I'm like, oh man, something's going on over there. <laughs> And I just kind of, I just hope it doesn't infringe on the stuff that I like. <laughs> it's like, you do whatever I, you want, as long yeah. as it's not coming over here. Well, that's my thing, because I, I remember when Nintendo really tried it across the last few years, and it was we got a Mario Kart uh, on mobile, we got a Super Mario Run, and there's the Animal Crossing game that's like terrible, like Pocket Camp or whatever it's called, um, but it's nowhere near what an Animal Crossing game should be. And then there was the Fire Emblem game, which made a ludicrous amount of money, but again, is a very watered-down version of what that franchise can be. Um, with Sega doing it, I mean, there's already, like I said, there's already a ton of Sonic games on there. Like the Sonic Dash games are just Temple Run games where you just it's an auto runner and you swipe and move. I I already have two of them installed because because I have to play I have to play something Sonic based. What am I gonna What am I gonna not play Sonic? And uh, so I got a bit of that. Um, and I you know I assume that they'll want to make new IPs and everything. But I think that whole like just push into mobile, like you said, it's a it's a blind spot for the people who it is already a blind spot for. And if you're a mobile gamer, which I'm not, I just have a couple of things installed, ma- mainly Pokemon Go um, and Sonic. If I'm at a bus stop or something um they'll they'll be the people that will be continually monetized i don't think you can bring people in like us let's say um, and to really spend dedicated time on mobile that's it it's a completely different market isn't it like Mm. you might get some people over by using the ip but they've already used the sonic ip and if that's not really worked Mm. it's like what else can they do it's just yeah it is it's it's a huge market and you can tell Mm. why people want to get in on it and why big publishers want to get in on it because there's so much money to be made it's just like it's almost completely different from the quote-unquote hardcore gamers that would go insane for a sonic mania 2 or whatever (laughs) i did just think if you do a sega all-stars angry birds and i can fling little kazuma kiryu heads uh tiny little majima heads i'd actually pay for that yeah You'd have, yeah. to, you'd, have, you'd have to restrain me to stop me paying for that. I might have done that in 2008. Maybe not now, <laughs> but maybe maybe back then. <laughs> Bring back, uh, what was it, Doodle Jump? Bring back yes. Doodle Jump. Put Sonic on that thing. Um, final news thing, um, which is actually something that's sort of just still taken over from last week, which is just the general conversation on frame rates in games. This came after Redfall, or Arcane rather, um, developers of Redfall announced that the game will be launching at 30 FPS with a 60 FPS patch coming further down the line. Um, and then, more recently, um, archivists have gone on to the uh, used uh, like Wayback Machine or whatever the hell they used to look at old versions of web pages to find that the Xbox Store was listing uh, Redfall as 60 
FPS plus. Um, and so technically, I guess legally that's still true because it might still get there eventually. Um, but it's just that general conversation on, um, because it's also backed up by John Hanneman over on uh, Digital Foundry saying that 30 FPS games are coming back. The 30 FPS just is the norm and the quicker we accept that, the better. That's my paraphrase of his general argument. Um, that's an interesting thing because we have consoles that are trying to push 60. We have consoles pushing 120. We have boxes for the PS5 that say 8K that would, we're never going to get there. Um, and I wonder whether, you know, more marketing gets put into just locking 30 FPS, convincing the, the mass populace that 30 can be acceptable and then we focus on visuals or is it the other way around? The visuals need to take the hit so we can actually lock 60 in. I'm going to offer, after slagging them off earlier on, I'm going to offer a tepid defense of Microsoft here because okay. I I do think this is going to become standard, like you said, in like that yeah, Eurogamer mm. piece kind of stated as well. Because if you just like look historically at how developers and how console makers have kind of like pushed the 30 FPS as norm, not agenda, but approach to developing video games over the past years, we've always had machines that could get 60 frames per second, but at the cost, at the often drastic cost of visual fidelity. Now, at the launch of the Xbox Series X and the PS5, when we've had a bunch of multi-platform titles, like, when was the last time we had a dedicated PS5 game from Sony Mm. a long time ago? You know, they kind of prioritized this hybrid model, but... I was never, there was never a doubt in my mind that I reckon there's a 70% chance that the next Naughty Dog game doesn't have a 60 frames per second option. You know what I mean? Maybe eventually, but not at launch, I don't think. And that's just going off how the company has operated before. For instance, when they put out the remaster of you know, The Last of Us um, 1 on the PS4, mm-hmm. And that had the option for 60 frames per second. But then you got The Last of Us Part Two, and it was locked at 30 because they wanted to push mm. the graphical um, you know, features and stuff. Oof. And I just think uh-huh. console gamers, console makers, and console developers have always prioritized that stuff. And while yeah. you might get a kind of insomniac approach where you kind of patch in a bunch of stuff after the fact, which I still think will happen, I think the base versions of the biggest games, especially from Sony, more so than Microsoft, I'd say, are going to be pushing visual fidelity, are going to be locking those frame rates down. And is that a shame? Probably. But I don't think it'll be for every game, but I do think Redfall is not going to be the only controversy we have surrounding Mm. a 30 FPS lock for the rest of the generation. I think it's going to become more and more commonplace as we push the tech to its limits. No, same. I, I wonder. I, I would rather they just rip the band aid off and just said, like, look, like you know, we, we can't actually balance. Because I, I just saw another headline that was uh, Capcom have removed ray tracing from the Resident Evil 2 and 3 remakes, at least on PC. Um, some patch that happened overnight or something removed that uh, uh, feature from the game. And I just, I wonder those things, the ray tracing, the volumetric lighting, all these buzzwords, all these terms that we use to, to big up the visuals. Um, we never really had the conversation about how that impacts frame rate. We just sort of accepted that everything would be brilliant and we could do all these cool visuals with a, with an incredible 120 frames a second and it'll be in 8K, 120. Like, when it, when, like I said, we're just never going to get there. And I would rather have that conversation or that admittance, I guess it would be at this point, um, or something like that, to just say it's going to have to be one or the other and maybe spec towards that. Um, for me, it's always just about responsiveness. Like, I think if you can if you can have a locked 30, I'm totally fine with that because um, at least it feels consistent and it feels like I can, you know, and after, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes with a game, you get, like, used to it anyway. It becomes that sort of symbiotic connection with it anyway. Um, So for me, it's all about consistency of frame rate rather than like higher is better by default. For me, it's just consistency. Um, Gotham Knights and absolutely, obviously that game launched like hell and they patched quite a lot of it, but it never got above 30. But thankfully now it is locked at 30. And and so as one of the five people who like that game anyway, <laughs> it is actually, it does actually run a lot better than it ever did before. Um, but what do you think of that stuff? Do you, what do you think of like fixed frame rate? Does it, can that get around the 60 thing for you? It's fine for me. Like, again, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from the perspective of someone who like isn't ride or die on 60 frames per second. I really <laughs> like having the option but I'm a, I'm a quality mode man through and through more often right. than not. I played Resi 4 on quality mode. I played the Dead Space remake on quality mode. I will probably play the next Naughty Dog game on quality mode. And I probably would have played Redfall on quality mode if I had the option <laughs> anyway. I think uh. it's more a conversation about like optimization and how difficult that can be for some AAA studios, whether it's they don't have the resources or more importantly, probably they don't have the time to fully optimize games. 
And I think that's the main reason why we don't have like these options standard at launch anymore. You mentioned mm-hmm. Gotham Knights there, which is exactly what I was going to bring up. Like that was a next gen only game that yeah. cut ties with the last gen consoles, and it still wasn't optimized to hit 30 <laughs> frames per second at launch. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I look at Redfall, which again is a game that doesn't look very visually cutting edge in my opinion, no. but I imagine the performance is being tanked hard by the online component, kind of like how Mm. Gotham Knights was. So I wonder whether that's been difficult to optimize for. It's just a case of optimization and how much time these developers have and how beholden to deadlines they are. You know, I think it's telling how much work it is by just looking at Gotham Knights and realizing that, yeah, we cut off all of these other machines and we still didn't hit the target, you know? (laughs) Development is hard, surprise, surprise. As well, I don't know. Actually, I'm going to just hazard a guess that the average person doesn't even care or even talk about frame rates. Like people like us will notice it. Obviously, there's a millions of us online talking about video games, noticing this stuff, arguing about this stuff. But I think most people sit down, they buy the games they want to play, they sit down and they play them. Um, and even if they've been involved in some online conversations, it's always going to be in when they start playing, does it feel good? Does it feel like it's juddery? Like, how noticeable is that? And I think you can get away with like maybe two or three frames like fluttering around the 30 mark. But it's it's always that, it's weird because when you get to 25, you can tell. And it's always that weird little mark where it's sort of in between that it's okay. On films like 27 or something? Films something are like 24, that. I want to say. Right. Films are 24 and I think TV is 25. There's like a weird discrepancy right, okay. between them, but yeah. So there's definitely something in that 20 mark where it's sort of like, but even we're talking like literal numerics at some point, but it's like, if you can lock it down, like I said, for me, it's entirely about responsiveness. Yeah, consistency. I fully agree. I mean, you know, going back to the Dead Space um, comparison, that in 30 felt so much better than Callisto Protocol in 30, which did feel janky and awful and unresponsive. And (laughs) you were better off playing that game in frame rate mode. uh, Whereas for Dead Space, for whatever reason, they just implemented it so well that it it was smooth and it was, responsive and they nailed it that's mm-hmm. what they need to get if they want to convince people that 30 fps is okay because there's nothing worse and i've had it with the resident evil 4 remake when a game comes out and it's trying to hit 30 and it doesn't and then it gets stuttery and like the big set pieces and you're like god am i why why does my ps5 <laughs> feel like a, you know 2003 windows pc that's trying to run a modern <laughs> game you know it shouldn't feel like that this should be next gen uh, that's so definitely yeah. the core of it the the amount of money that we're putting on these systems and that, that it's it's that vague promise of next gen solving all the issues of the current gen and then just having to look down the barrel of that and be like actually we can't we can't match the visuals with the frame rate um but i mean there's a whole i'm not going to it now but there's a whole wider conversation for me on how big the industry's got and how much we're focusing on visuals and obviously we talked about that so many times before um i would rather they reduce the visual fidelity to ramp up the responsiveness with the frame rates um something like a sifu is almost my perfect example of a video game or, or hellblade or something where it's like you know it didn't take them eight years to make it it's not a rocksteady suicide squad situation um it's just a focused video game designed to be played and beaten and um, that performs well i think you know this is no slight in pc players but pc players have had such options so many mm. options for so many years are used to you know cranking the fps up to the 200s able to tweak every kind of a glass <laughs> setting and now yeah. us console players we've had a taste of that with the new generation of consoles you know for better or worse some people love it some people like yourself scott tilford hate being inundated with hair strands and you know (laughs) chromatic aberration and all of those um you know menus and stuff but i wonder now whether we have got to a point in the console space where that is so solidified that anything else now is going to be viewed as a negative you know if, mm. if if we never had those options to start with and redfall came out and announced that it was 30 frames per second and was going to get an update later on i don't think anyone would have batted an eye but in this in mm. kind of weird interim period where we're getting all of these multi-platform games cross-gen games and we've kind of made these options the norm now to suddenly kind of strip those away it does feel like you're getting less and it does feel like the games are quote-unquote worse because from like maybe even if it's just like an optics thing but that's been established yeah, man. Well, my, for, my, for me, it's the dichotomy of the console promise. The console promise was to get to do away with that stuff, do away with all the finicky PC stuff, and just give you a system and a game, and it worked. That was what even uh, Steam tried to do with the Steam, oh, not the Steam Deck, 
the um, the steam machine or whatever it was called in like in 2013, 2014. Yes. The idea of just, we'll give you the box and you don't have to worry about it. It just plays stuff. That's always what the Steam Deck does too. And um, I feel like we're up against that with the console promise versus as we get more towards PC tech and bigger games are demoed on PC and they bring them across. And then some games on uh, Switch, especially, you punch in a few different button codes and you can just bring up the PC menu. Like there are some indie games that just are literally the PC version and you're just piloting the mouse cursor around with the analog stick. And so things like that, I, um, I think the console promise is kind of waning in terms of like the um, immediacy of it and it's like it's got it's we're in this weird Venn diagram thing where it's this weird gray area and where they want to give us a bunch of PC style options but you have the what should be the immediacy of consoles butting up against that and I literally spent 20 minutes when I first booted up Resident Evil 4 googling what are the best what am I doing what am I saying what's the best thing for this and I hate that I hate that and uh, it's just the black levels thing all over again on the TV where it's just like, can I just watch the thing? And uh, and then you realize 10 years later that you had it set wrong and you've got to get the ambient lighting on the go. Make it, make it work. <laughs> but I just, I always want the immediate thing. And uh, I feel like that's kind of where we are with conversations like this, where they're just saying, we can immediately give you a 30 FPS thing, but there's this thing in the con- in the industry overall that says like, well, why not 60? I thought that's what I thought that's what the immediate thing was. And now we're at this, this butting heads bit. I wonder how much of it though it is just, we need, to get this game out because Redfall correct mm. me if I'm wrong was already delayed that was supposed to come yep. out at the end of last year, last year. so it's already yeah. been delayed once and I wonder whether they're looking at the game and going well we could get a 60 frames per second option or higher 120 frames per second option in there but it means we'd have to delay the game another month should we not just push mm. a version of it out now and patch it later because you know other teams have done that mm. Insomniac and it's been fine but obviously this has been received a lot worse and I wonder whether you know that's a conversation going on within all of the teams right now. I wonder if something similar happens to Starfield when that eventually comes out, where you might have originally envisioned or planned multiple options to play that game performance-wise, but it kind of gets down to the wire and you think, man, we need to kick this game out. We can't delay it again. Let's just patch the rest of the stuff in um, after launch. I tell you what, as well, just to round this uh, up or whatever. That's Insomniac. I was going to mention because they uh, put out the Miles Morales, the performance ray tracing mode. Um, if they'd literally said during the game's development that actually at launch it's going to be one or the other, or later we'll have the option for both, optically that would have not gone down very well. I feel like yeah. it's kind of almost an optics problem in this regard. Um, maybe they would have been better off just not saying anything. Um, but I guess then you would have had the at some point had to make that call of whether you educate people beforehand or not but yeah teams that have added meaningful graphics options later they tend to just not talk about it and then it's a nice surprise when you can do something even though retroactively or retrospectively um, it is terrible that that wasn't there on day one. (laughs) Yeah because I think I mean ultimately I don't think these developers want people waiting for a quote unquote optimum version of the game like if I knew that that ray tracing performance mode was coming out for Miles Morales maybe I'd have waited to play the game maybe Maybe I'd have thought, well, that's the best way. That's the best of both worlds. That's how I want to play the game. I'll wait and get it. They ultimately do just want you jumping in as soon as possible. And uh, yeah, I wonder how the messaging surrounding these patches and these um, different modes is going to evolve over time because at some point mm. it'll go back to the thing of, well, it's just play a choice. That's all we want. We should add in. It's not because we couldn't hit the deadline or the publisher refused to move the deadline. We just want some more choice in the game, you know? It's not because we have no idea what our first party teams are doing and yeah. maybe they'll have a game we, that's another thing is that they just need games so it's like just can you just get this out so something is on a, sh- a shelf somewhere for someone to buy um, anyway we'll check back in in the coming weeks as things develop in many different fields for now this has been The Wind Up I've been Scott Tailford that's been Josh Brown always a pleasure Scott Tailford always a pleasure to be heard by all of you once again and we'll catch you next week goodbye bye bye <laughs>